0: We are looking at a message this morning called Complete in Christ. We're going to be looking at Colossians 1, verses 28 through 2-7. Before we do anything more, let's pray. Well, Father, we are grateful to be together on this special day. Each Sunday is really a special time to gather in your name, to celebrate you, to honor you, Lord, as the giver of every good and perfect gift. It comes from above, from the Father of lights, the Father of lights, who made the world and everything in it, made dads and moms. He made families. And Lord, it it is very special to know that when you communicate your love for us and how we're to see the body and our relationship with you, so many of those images are painted in familial terms, and, and those are ones that we can understand. And we know that, you know, it's not always easy with family, but we know that family is a great blessing. Thank you for the body of Christ, for those who don't even have any family, but they have the family of God, they have a huge family all over the world, and we're grateful for that reality. As we look to to Christ now and look to the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, make us understand our position in Christ, that we are complete in Him, and bless our time, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So first service was an interesting uh, service. We, I walked up here and my microphone wasn't working and then the fire alarm went off uh, during the sermon. And so usually when that happens we have a pretty good indication that something important needs to occur on that day. And we do have an enemy and he is on the prowl and I think he loves the art of distraction but I'll say this to you. At the end of the service, I preached the message called Being Complete in Christ. And at the end of the service, a young man walked up. He had waited patiently. I had talked to about five or six different people before he walked up. He walked up and he said, Can I talk to you? I said, Sure, you can. We sat chairs face to face up here in the front row. He said, I was in my truck this last week. He said, uh, I'm going through a very difficult time. I won't give you all the details, but very trying time for him as an individual. He said, I got in my truck, I flipped on the radio, and I heard this voice, and it was you. And you were preaching on 740 AM. And as I was hearing this, it it reminded me, I need to get back to God. And I was thinking, well, maybe your church is in LA or something. And I waited to the end, and I found out your church is in Corona, and I live in Riverside. He said, it was very difficult for me to walk through these doors today. And it was very difficult for me to come up and talk to you. Well, that young man who heard the radio broadcast showed up at church. The message was exactly what he needed to hear. And he opened his life to Christ this morning. Praise God. So just know that when we talk about radio ministry or we talk about the power of the gospel, I always like to think of individual stories when I think of preaching. And I think of, you know, what the ministry is about. The ministry is about individuals. It's about individual stories. Now, as we've been looking at this church at Colossae, Paul uh, wanted to tell them that they had a special place in terms of their relationship with God. In Colossians 27, he said, God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim him, 1.28 of Colossians, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man or everyone complete in Christ. Now that's where the title comes, Complete in Christ. And I think you and I would agree that most of us, if not all of us, and I think all of us, because this is the human dilemma, spend our lives trying to find completion. When our first parents fell in the Garden of Eden, they had a beautiful face-to-face relationship with God Almighty. In fact, God walked with them in the cool of the day. They were able to spend time with God face-to-face, in unhindered fellowship. But something happened. Our first parents felt like they needed to do something else to find their completeness. And the devil came in and lied to them and said, oh, no, 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 no. God, god's trying to hold back from you. In the day that you eat of this fruit, you'll be as God's knowing good and evil. If they would have only known what that bite would have gotten the human race for generations upon generations upon generation. But they took the bait, they ate the forbidden fruit, and it plunged mankind into alienation between God and man. We looked at the concept of alienation in verse uh, 21 when it says, And although, Colossians 1.21, you were formerly alienated and hostile mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So we went from alienation to reconciliation. We went from incompleteness to completeness. And that is what we are in Jesus Christ. Man, in his fallen nature, though, is incomplete. Um, Our first parents, you know, made this mistake, and now the reconciling work of Christ has brought us back. But in many ways, we spend our lives on a quest for completeness. A quest for completeness. And we might look for it in education. We might look for it in our careers, Many of us try to find completeness in our conquests on the sports field, for example, or in our careers. Many people find, try to find completeness in relationships with parents and children and link everything to people's opinions of what they think about them. And people are devastated if they, if they know of a negative opinion against them. And we, we do all this stuff to try to find completeness. This young man who came up to me after first service told me that 5 or 6 years ago he said he was going to church on occasion on major holidays and 5 or 6 years ago he just stopped. He just stopped going to church. He said he just stopped everything. He stopped reading the Bible and he said his life has fallen apart since then and he d- he didn't know what to do. And I told him the simple formula of what to do. It's to come to Christ. I said, it doesn't mean that you can't pursue a good education or be good at your job, but all of that's gonna be frosting on the cake. It doesn't mean that you can't find a special place in all the wonderful human relationships. We should, human relationships add to our lives, but we don't find completion in them. Human relationships, we should add to other people's uh, lives. We should be adders and not subtractors, amen? But... The truth of the matter is, if you're trying to find complete completion in your career, or in your bank account, or in your children, or in your parents, or in your conquests, or whatever you want to name, you're not going to find it. Solomon, who was one of the wealthiest men who ever lived, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Scholars believe that he wrote it at the end of his life, and he wrote it as a warning to the young. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, what Solomon uses is a Hebrew word that means emptiness or Uh, that which is meaningless or even confusing. And he tried to achieve it. You know, they say he was probably the wealthiest man who's ever lived or on par with one of the wealthiest people today. He tried it with uh, education. He tried it with book learning. He tried it with building projects. He tried it with women. He tried it with wine. He tried it with having male and female servants. He tried it with everything. And he kept saying over and over again, vanity of vanities. Vanities. This world, if you are disconnected from God, and that's the perspective from which Solomon writes, is vain. If you don't know God, your life will ultimately be vain or empty. It doesn't matter what you accomplish because you have an expiration date. It's on the bottom of your foot. Have you ever seen it before? Just check the bottom of your foot. There's an expiration date. You're gonna live so long. And what you're gonna really take with you is what you did on this planet. For the the kingdom of God. In him you find completeness. Without him, you're going to be a hollow person. A rich young ruler came up to Jesus in the book of Matthew, chapter 19, and he said, Good master, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, You know the commandments. And he named some of the commandments, and, and the man said, Oh, I've done all these things since my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus said, If you wish to be complete, Matthew 19, 21. Go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved, for he owned much property. You know, what he thought was gonna make him complete actually was his undoing. What he thought was gonna make him uh, complete made him incomplete. You can see some of the most shallow people who have all the possessions on the planet, and they're about as hollow as a person as you can find. Depth does not come from worldly achievements. Depth depth comes from being complete in Christ. Now, when you have the foundation right, certainly everything else can be frosting on the cake. You should work hard. You should do well at your career. You should try to take care of your family and earn a good income. You should try to be educated. You should do everything you can. But I will tell you this. The ultimate endeavor, endeavor is to try to make others complete in Christ. And this is what Paul's mission was. He says, we proclaim him, Paul proclaimed the gospel, 128, admonishing every man, three times you're going to see the phrase in verse 28, every person or everyone, Uh, he said, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone or every person complete in Christ. That was Paul's mission, that was Paul's purpose. Interestingly enough, a man who was once a Pharisee, a very committed Jewish religious person of the tribe of Benjamin, if you interviewed Paul before he became Paul and was Saul, and you asked him, what do you think of Gentiles? What do you think, Paul, what do you think Saul would have said? Uh, most rabbis did not have a good perspective on Gentiles, which is really just non-Jewish people. In fact, the rabbis often taught that Gentiles were simply fuel for the fires of hell. They didn't want to eat with them. They didn't want to spend time with them. And Paul's life mission became all about presenting Gentiles and Jews complete in Jesus Christ. And that is the mission of the church, by the way. We use these methods. We proclaim, 28. We admonish, which has the idea of warning and exhortation. We teach. That's the word didascalia or didactic teaching. And we do it for every person. That every person may be complete in Christ. The goal of ministry is to present people complete in Christ. You can be complete this morning in Christ. Don't think that you're the exception. Sometimes people hear stuff like this and they say, I'm the one person this is not going to work for. Is that you? It'll work for everybody else, but I'm never going to be complete in Christ. No, it works for everybody, everyone, every person, every woman, every man, young or old or in between, you can be complete in Christ. Amen? That's what the Bible teaches. Now, the word complete is a word that we need to dig out a little bit. In the original language in the Greek New Testament, it's teleos. If you're interested, it's T-E-L-E-I-O-S. The different versions of our Bibles translated differently, but the basic definition, if you look it up in a Greek lexicon, means growth, mental and moral character, to be perfect, complete, or adult. And so when you read English translations of the New Testament, they go in two different directions. Teleon or teleos, the Greek word for perfect or complete, is sometimes translated with the word perfect, and I'm quoting from Douglas Moo. He says, Neither of these translations of the word quite captures the sense of the word. Neither perfect nor mature captures it. Perfect is too strong. Mature is too weak. Rarely does the word in the New Testament have the sense of our English idea of perfect with its connotations of absoluteness. Mature, on the other hand, is too relative, inviting us to think that we are teleos as long as we are doing a bit better than some other Christians that we could name teleos connotes a quality of being so wholehearted in one's devotion to the Lord that one can be said to be blameless in conduct. Schweitzer puts it well. He says, to be teleos, or complete, is the complete and undivided way in which a person with all one's positive and negative attributes is oriented toward God, toward God, or toward Christ, close quote. To be complete is to be moving in a direction where one's life is oriented directionally toward God. It does not mean that you're not going to have your hiccups and skin your knees. But it means that you are a man or woman who nobody has to guess where you're going. Nobody has to guess where the train is leading. You are oriented toward the God in whom you have placed your faith and the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.33, we based the 6.33 service upon it, is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? He'll add he'll all these other things to you. So we could talk about the other things, possessions and worry and food and clothing and what are we gonna do and what are we gonna eat and what are we gonna drive? But that is shallow, my friends. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to have a shallow or showy walk with Jesus Christ. You can have that. I don't want that. I want to have deep roots with Christ. And it's going to cause me to examine my own walk with Christ and ask some deeper questions like, am I going through the motions, or am I a truly devoted follower to Christ? In the Old Testament, there's a Hebrew word, tamim, It's the Hebrew equivalent of this Greek idea for teleos. And tamim is a a word used of Noah. In Genesis 6, 9, it says that Noah was blameless in his generation, and he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, Noah wasn't sinless, but in his generation, he was a righteous man. He was a man who you didn't have to guess what Noah was about, and in fact, when Noah was given a building project, which was quite a project, by the way, to build an ark. He had probably never seen rain. He was probably 100 miles inland. He honored God, and he began to build an ark. He was a man of faith. Extra-biblical literature says that people ridiculed him every day. He was the opening, you know, monologue joke uh, that people, everybody, everybody said, Oh, nutty Noah, you know, tapping away at the ark today. Hey, Noah, what do you think today? Go ahead, say something wacky. <laughs> <laughs> but Noah tapped and preached and he nailed nails and preached. And he really condemned his generation. He was a man who believed God. Am I? Are you? To admonish someone, you know, the tools that Paul would use to make people complete are found in verse 28. He admonished. What does that mean? That means he warned. That means it has the idea of setting right uh, a corrective influence on someone. It, it, it is it, to lay on the heart of someone. It's a word often used of the raising of children. Sometimes we have to be admonished as Christians, amen? Sometimes we come into church, and it's like, ow, stop stepping on my toes. Foo, foo, foo oh. These belong to you, Pastor Michael. No, they don't. They are yours. You may keep them. Arrows come at us. The sword of the Spirit hurts Sometimes, you know, people describe, they they say, I've been away from God and I go into a Sunday service and I feel like that preacher has a copy of my diary. I do. I steal them from your nightstands late in the night. No, I don't. In fact, when I first was going to church, I thought the pastor of that church had a copy of my diary. The problem was I didn't have a diary. And so the word admonishment has the idea of warning. And Paul was warning them against the false teachers in Acts 20, 30, 31. He said, I have not ceased to warn you day and night with tears. There's gonna be men who arise from your own number who will try to lead you away from the true Christ and the true message. Imagine Paul as he went around, around the Roman world uh, implementing these things, admonishing, teaching with the goal, verse 28, to present everyone Complete in Christ. See the word present there? It comes from the the Greek word peristemi, which is a technical term for the presentation of an offering of an animal without spot or without blemish. And Paul's singular goal was to get everybody to a point of maturity so he could present them to the Lord as his offering. Go to Romans, just a few pages back, Romans 15. Romans chapter 15, look at verse 15. Romans 15, 15. Paul had not seen the Roman church face to face nor had he met the Colossian church face to face, but he wrote letters to them and to the church at Rome, Romans 15, 15, he says, I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister, Romans fifteen sixteen of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God that my offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul saw his life moving inevitably toward a moment in what scholars would say is an eschatological sense or a last days or a Bema seat, final judgment idea, where when he stood before his Maker, what he would present essentially to God is people that he had won to Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 2, just flip over there. It's a few pages to your right. 1 Thessalonians 2, as Paul addresses the Thessalonian churches, he says these words. He's talking about his relationship with the church, and he says, 1 Thessalonians 2, he talks about the spiritual battle that Satan got in the way, and he says, 219, 1 Thessalonians, for who is our hope or joy or crown or exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming, for you are our glory and our joy? Turn back to Colossians. Here's Paul's point. I believe there's going to come a day when I present something to the Lord, and I personally do not believe it's literal crowns. I believe the crown that I will place at Jesus's feet one day is people. People people that I've had an influence on, people that I've won to Christ, people that I've prayed for. Maybe I supported a missionary and he won somebody to Christ. I believe they're gonna be our crown of rejoicing on that day. I believe when Christ says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, it's going to be completely related to your faithfulness and gospel ministry. And I'm not sure the modern church really has a very good handle on that. See, our walks, you guys, are not just about us. One day, you're going to make a presentation to your Lord as well. You're going to lay down a crown before him. Hopefully, it's not going to be one of those mini Burger King crowns with fits on a doll's head. This is all I have, Lord. No, I want a crown that's large because I believe that everything I do on this planet to try to win people to Christ, I'm going to offer it back to him. That's what Paul believed. And so Paul says, Colossians 129, for this purpose also I labor. I ask you, do you have a purpose? What's your purpose for living? Well, Paul's purpose was to win converts to Christ. And he says, I labor. For this purpose I also I labor. See the word labor there? It's, it's working to the point of exhaustion. It's, it's gospel laboring here. And I strive or striving according, but here's how I do it. I do it according to what? His power. See the word power there? It's where we get our word energy. It speaks of superhuman power. His power, which mightily works within me. If the ministry was all about my fleshly efforts, we ought to just pack up and go home. But if the ministry is about the power of Almighty God moving through an ordinary individual's life like you and me, you at work, you in the grocery line, you wherever you may be, at a park on a Saturday, just keeping your heart open to the fact that everyone is incomplete without Christ, God will give you a mission field. And so he says, I labor, I'm striving. The word striving is agonizomai. That's a big Greek word. It, it's where we get the word agony in English. The Greek verb refers ri- referred originally to competing. It was used for agonizing in an athletic event or fight. Have you ever watched a, a marathon runner agonizing in the last lap of the race? You can see the pain on their face. Have you ever seen a mom on a Saturday morning? It's a similar pain. Mom's have to agonize, agonizamai. That should be your new word, mom. Why? Because you're doing something similar. You're trying to move little kids to a point of completion. (laughs) Pastors and mothers have the same job, pretty much. Mom's the hardest job, pastor's about second. (laughs) Just kidding. It's probably down the list pretty far. But here's the point. Getting people to a point of maturity can be agonizing. You may spend your life, lots of times, agonizing over people, situations. You may be losing sleep because you're agonizing over a child that's wayward. And look, we understand that. Paul went through that all the time. He said, look, which, he said, I have a constant burden on my heart for all the churches. Imagine, Paul, he planted all these churches in pagan-dominated lands where there was all this false teaching and there was all this... Uh, polytheism and a pantheon of gods and goddesses. He was always concerned that false teaching might move converts away from the truth. And so he says, NIV, I struggle with all his energy. You see, here's the key. Let it be God's energy, <laughs> not yours. His energy powerfully works in me. George Whitfield's preaching was getting people out of their beds in Edinburgh. A man on the way to the great tabernacle met a man named David Hume, David Hume was the Scottish philosopher and skeptic of Christianity. Surprised at meeting him on the way to hear Whitfield preach, the man said, I thought you didn't believe in the gospel. To which Hume replied, I don't, but he does. When there's a man on fire or a woman on fire and it's the power of the Holy Spirit, it's superhuman. It's something that you can sense that's beyond the normal stuff when you meet people and, you know, talk about the various and sundry topics that you can talk about. And so we need the power of God in our lives. That's what Paul had. That's why he did what he did. He said, I want you to know, moving to chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea, one of those sister churches, as we described in the opening of this book, Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face. Everybody look at your Bible, chapter 2 verse 1. See that word Laodicea there? You all who have read the Bible at all and read the book of Revelation, you know there's a Laodicean church in Revelation 3. And do you remember when Laodicea is addressed by John in Revelation? Do you remember what Laodicea's problem is? They are lukewarm. And Jesus said, I wish that you were hot or cold, but you are neither hot nor cold. And because you are lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Here's my point. If Paul wrote Colossians in the early 60s AD, most scholars believe Revelation's about 95. And by the way, we're studying Revelation on Wednesday nights. If you want to come, we just opened the book, 7 o'clock. But when he writes in AD 95, it took that church probably just about 30 years to go from probably a solid church to Lukewarm. And I would say in a lot of people's lives, it doesn't take 30 years. Sometimes it takes 30 minutes. Sometimes it takes 30 days. And the reason is, is because we can get captivated with other things that draw us away. And Paul says, I'm struggling. I want you to know of my struggle on your behalf. Paul says, for all those who have not personally seen my face. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, with all of us struggling with our prayer lives and what to pray for, how much Emphasis do you put in your prayer life on churches you've never met before? How much do you pray for people you've never, never met before? Well, that was Paul. And I don't think Paul's just talking about prayer. I think he's talking about doctrine. The word originally here for the struggle was derived from the place where Greeks assembled for the Olympic Games, a place where they agonized in wrestling and foot races and where they fought to win. If I were Paul, I would have wrote the Colossians and said, would you pray for me? I'm in prison. Pray, get all the people to pray for me. When you, if I would have wrote a letter, I would have wrote that. I'm in prison. Help me. Pray for me. Bring me food. I wouldn't have said, I'm struggling praying for you. you, you you're walking around free in Colossae. How bad could it be? But Paul had such a heart. Here he is writing the prison epistles, saying, I'm struggling for you. Here's the goal. That their hearts, verse 2, may be encouraged. Paul wanted the Christians to be encouraged, having been knit together in love. The word for encouraged there is paraclain, a form of pericleo. It means to call alongside It's the idea here that Paul wanted the church not to be discouraged, but encouraged. Here's the thing. You can be an encourager or a discourager. Encourage means to put courage into people. To discourage means you take courage out of people. Which are you? It depends on the day and the freeway traffic, frankly. (laughs) Right? But we, but Paul was an encourager. He says, look, I want them to be knit together in love. How many of you ladies are knitters? Raise up your hand if you knit. My grandmother was a knitter. My wife is an ex- ex- excellent seamstress, and often those who knit make stuff for other people—sweaters for dogs. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> but my grandma would make blankets, and the the idea of the knitting was to cover you. It was a. The knitting project was often with somebody else in mind. Amen. Oh, I'm going to make this for so and so. I'm going to make this for so and so's new baby. I'm going to make this to cover up my grandson, etc. It's an act of love. Well, Paul says, I want you guys to be knit together. Francis Schaeffer said, the ultimate apologetic of the church is our unity. And can you imagine if if you were a fly on the wall in the Colossian church and you heard people debating these ideas? Like, what do you believe? Do you believe in the esoteric knowledge? Do you think that we need to start to use these secret symbols and signs? Do you think we have to read these extra books? Because they say that unless you have the secret knowledge, you really can't be in, and Christ is not enough. What do you think? I don't know. I I disagree. Uh, Back and forth and up and down it would go. And Paul says, you better stay together because the devil is a divider. And he often uses false doctrine. Somebody gets on a hobby horse about a particular doctrine. It could be uh, a doctrine of, you know, Calvinism or or Arminianism or uh, timing of the rapture. And they take an essential, uh, non-essential, and move it to the point of an essential. And often churches are divided. Paul says, I want you to be knit together. Uh, My wife has a sign. uh, It says, a day hemmed in prayer will not come undone will not unravel. There you go. A day hemmed in prayer will not unravel. That's a good one. Go to Colossians 3, look at verse 14. Colossians three fourteen. 14. Oh, go back to verse 13. It says, bearing with one another, 3, 13, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So Paul says, I want you to be knit together in love because the false teachers are trying to divide you guys. And don't you understand this is what the enemy does? I want you to attain, look at verse 2, chapter 2, all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself. If you want to know, if you want to just have it boiled down There's no hidden stuff you need. The secret has been revealed. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, God put his love on display at the cross. God's not keeping it secret. Christ lived in the very history in which we are now walking. Those of us who go to Israel next March will walk on ground where he walked. We will sail on waters that he walked on. We will see that in the very history in which we are embedded, archaeological manuscript and other evidences for the God of the Bible. In fact, the evidence is all around us. Paul says, I want you to know. I want you to have this full assurance. I don't want you to be captivated by these false arguments. For in Jesus Christ, verse 3, chapter 2, are hidden how many? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Who must Christ be Think about it. Who must Christ be if all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him? He must be God. And that's exactly who he is. He is God. He is the repository, the great storehouse of all riches and spiritual wisdom. The massive ignots, as one writer puts it, of solid gold, which when coined into creeds and doctrines are the wealth of the church. It's all in Christ. You don't have to go anywhere else. It's all in him. They're hidden in him. See the word hidden there? It's apocryphos. It's where we get the idea of the apocryphal books or the apocrypha. Has the idea of hidden here. And some scholars believe that Paul's using an idea in the false teachers. The false teachers said there was secret hidden knowledge that you had to climb up a stairwell to a smoky room and there would be hooded figures there and with the right code and the right uh, uh, secret passage words. What's the secret passage? Uh, I I don't know, double-double? Yeah, okay, you can come in. It's almost lunchtime, sorry. And and now we'll reveal to you the secret of all all secrets you can now be in the club wait a minute I thought the secret was revealed and the secret is Christ amen I thought the mystery was now fully revealed oh but there's something more yes it's found here in this hidden treasure chest in this little book only in our church and only in the corner the southwest corner of our building what No, we have 66 books and the mystery has been revealed, baby. Amen? And it's this, Christ is the repository of all wisdom and all knowledge. And if someone tries to sell you a bill of goods and say, oh, well, you may have heard that in the Christian church, that Christ is enough. But there's another book you need to read. In fact, there's a four-volume set And for three easy payments. (laughs) Don't you love how they're always easy payments? When someone else is paying you, it's easy. They're painless. Every time I receive a check, it's totally painless. For three easy installments of $49.99, you too can have the secret. How many of you have been up late at night and you must confess? (laughs) Go ahead. It's good for the soul. You made a purchase like this. Oh, wow. Wow. Or they sold you the pill, you know, the singular pill where you'll lose 20 pounds in a month. Just take this. Can't eat anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's everywhere, folks. And it's not just the world, it's religion. Oh, you thought that just believing in Jesus was enough? Oh, 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 wait a minute. And the cults and the false teachers multiply over the generations, and it's the same old song and the same old lies. Oh, Christ just isn't enough. What more would you need if in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found? What would you add to that if all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him? What more would you need if he's God? Nothing. Nothing. And so Christ is the one where you find wisdom. Wisdom is often defined as practical applying knowledge, practically speaking, for life, for spiritual life. And this, uh, scholars would agree, is the high point of the letter. Uh, H.A. Ironside says, it's not necessary to go elsewhere. That is to investigate human systems or philosophies to find an explanation of the mystery of the universe and the relationship of the creator to his creatures. As we learn to know Christ better and understand the truth concerning him... Ultimately, every question is answered. Every perplexity is made clear. Every doubt is dissolved. Why turn aside to idle speculations, no matter how pretentious, when God has spoken in His Son and given His holy word to lead us by the Spirit into all truth? Why would you go there? And yet, there are people who are captivated constantly. Do you know that it's been said by cult experts That the biggest door to the cults is the back door of Christian evangelical churches, where people come into the church and somehow get convinced by a cult or a cultic movement that Christ simply is not enough. You've got to do this, you've got to do that. And so people are not rooted and grounded in Christ, and this is where we're going, and they get captivated by cults, frankly, just to be quite candid, because they don't know their Bibles. They just don't know their Bibles. I'm amazed at how quickly people can be sold a bill of goods by a slick-talking religious representative. And people lack discernment because they often don't know their Bible. Paul says in Colossians 2.4, I say this in order that no one may delude you. The word delude there is to be persuaded or cheated by a false argument. It's a word used in the law courts for a persuasive argument from a lawyer. Lawyers are good, (laughs) You know, if you get a good lawyer, you could probably get out of almost anything. You just got to come up with enough money. And they can be very persuasive. Paul says, I don't want you to be deluded with a persuasive argument. If there's a silver tongued person telling you something that's against Scripture, believe the Bible. For even though, verse 5, I am absent in body, uh, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline. And the stability of your faith in Christ. These are both military terms, good discipline. Speaks of uh, walking uh, in an orderly arrangement as a shoulder, as a soldier shoulder to shoulder. And stability speaks of uh, a battalion with their shields together or over them, protecting them as they are stable against attacks. And finally, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, Colossians 2.6 six. So walk in Him. You might say, okay, this, this, is, this is interesting, Pastor Michael, and it's interesting about the false teachers at Colossae, but what do I do with all this? I live in Corona. Yeah, well, this applies to those in Corona and those in Colossae. Here's what it is. If you've received the Lord, the word for receive there is a word, you've taken Him in, He's become your Lord and Savior. If that's you, here's what you do. If you've therefore, or as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so, what's your Bible say? Walk in Him. It doesn't sound too complicated until you try it. Right? Doesn't it sound easy? Just walk. Just walk. Walk has the idea of a direction. Walk by faith, not by sight. Walk with God. But the word walk is a synonym for live. It's you've received Christ as Lord, now live in Him. Walk out. You know, we we like to call people sometimes that... If their are talk and walk don't measure up, we, we, we call them out, right? Oh, practice what you preach. Let your walk and your talk go hand in hand. But I'm not sure we always apply that to ourselves. He says, you've received the Lord. Now walk in Him. Walk by the Spirit, says Paul, Galatians 5.16, and you will not carry out the desires of your flesh. Here's the image behind me. It's that of a tree. Everybody take a look up on the screen. What, something I've learned about trees, and I don't know a whole lot about them, is that what you see above the ground is roughly equivalent to the root system that you cannot see below the ground. So what you see going on in someone's life, if you see a fruitful life, if you see a person who's on fire producing fruit, there's a reason. And the reason is their roots go deep. A tree's productivity, stability, Fruit-producing, everything that it is is all about its root system and the nourishment that it gleans from those deep roots. Your Christian life and the fruitfulness that will follow is all about your root system. And the deeper your roots go, every time you walk into this place and you hear the word of God, as long as your heart is open and you're good soil, every time you open your Bible, every time you pray, every time you worship, your roots are going a little bit deeper and deeper and deeper. And then when the wind blows and the storms come, the tree won't go down. Why? Because its roots are deep. And Paul says, having been firmly rooted, this is a horticultural uh, image from plant life, firmly rooted, and being built up is really from the architectural or construction world. So when you're firmly rooted, then you're built up in him and established in your faith Just as you were instructed, and notice, one of the good markers or ways to tell fruitfulness is whether you're overflowing with, verse 7, gratitude. Do you know that gratitude is a great um, way to resist false teaching? Here's why. When you are a person of gratitude, you're complete. Amen? A grateful person is a person who feels complete. So instead of saying, you know, uh, what, if only I had this to drive, do you know somebody who, who lives in the if only world? If only traffic would be lighter on the freeway today, it's never light on the freeway, right? If only they live in this world and look, it often springs from a feeling of incompleteness, but... When you're overflowing with gratitude, it means your root system is deep. Ironside again says, as a tree sends its roots deep down into the soil, they would draw on hidden resources or sources of supply, all centered in Christ. And as a building founded on a rock is firmly established, they would recognize Christ as their only foundation. Completeness and gratitude go hand in hand. How deep are your roots, would you say, today? If you're moving in the right direction and they're going deeper instead of getting shallower, you're in good shape. You're growing. We all start out as a little sapling. (laughs) I won't even dig that out further. But we all start somewhere. And the question isn't, You know, if you're some huge tree dropping fruit into everybody's life, the issue is, are you growing? And if you are, gratitude will be one of those major markers. Paul says, I want you to overflow with gratitude. Father, we are grateful for this Mother's Day and we want to express our gratitude for you, our Heavenly Father, and for all of those who have experienced um, a special relationship with their mom and for those who did not, I pray that you would meet them where they are and minister to their hearts. Lord, for this precious congregation, for those who have come into this place on this day to hear from you, I pray that their roots will go deeper as a result of being here. I pray that as they do, we'll be more fruitful in our lives. We'll have more sense of contentment and gratitude. We'll look at the blessings around us and not the things we don't have, but the things we do have. And we'll enjoy every day that we get to wake up, there's breath in our lungs, and we get to be about kingdom business. Make us kingdom men and kingdom women. Let us keep our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And with your head bowed, your heart bowed before Christ, if you have not met him, if you want to know these realities in your personal walk, if you've moved away from Christ, maybe you have felt incomplete, empty, you felt a lot like Solomon, you've chased a lot of things and they've never truly satisfied. You can be complete right now. Completion is literally a prayer away because Christ will come in if you will open your heart. It's something like this, and I would encourage you, don't let this moment pass you by if you have not met Christ, something like this. Pray it out loud. Jesus, save me. Come into my life. I believe that you came to this earth to die on that cross for me, to rise from the dead. I put my faith and trust in you as Lord, Savior, and God. I repent of my sin, place my faith in you. Please save me, make me complete in Christ and give me a new heart and a new start. Father, for those who are opening up their hearts, may you bless them, may you encourage them, may you lift their burdens, may you bless them. May you show them your love that surpasses knowledge. May they be rooted and grounded in love, which is Ephesians 3 and know the depths of your love for them, which really surpasses knowledge. May we as a congregation be fruitful, unified, sown together in love. May we hold up the Christ in whom is stored all the repository of riches of wisdom and knowledge. They're all found in him, and he lives in us. And we're so grateful. So Lord, we just want to say, We love you. We worship you. I ask your blessing on this precious church. Let everybody have a great Sunday afternoon. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.